0: Welcome to The Hidden Bookcase. Come through and get cosy. Pick a book, your favourite book, that's the one that opens this room. Inside you'll find a warm fire, a loving cat, and a wide skylight to the stars.
1: And a dangerously high to be read pile.
0: I'm Morgan, I use they-them pronouns, and I am a genderless fae being in an
1: anorak. I'm Soren. I use he-him pronouns, and I am a Möbius strip made of paper. We've been friends for over a decade and are always swapping books. Every episode, we take it in turns to recommend one another a favourite read. The first-time reader tells us what they know about the book, makes some predictions about what they don't, and then we discuss our thoughts with all of you bookworms. This spring, we're reading sequels. So today, let's get to talking about... A Power Unbound by Freya Mask. We don't need to talk about how we found out about this. You're in. I
0: need listeners to know that I got a proof for this book three months ago.
1: Morgan is the best person in the world.
0: And I couldn't read it, and it just sat on my shelf staring at me because we decided we were going to do an episode on it thank you
1: my physical tbr thanks you my brain cries in agony i won't apologize because i didn't get an arc that galley so i'm just so privileged (laughs) shall we just listen to our blind
0: yeah i need listeners to know before we go in because hopefully this is going to be edited i need listeners to know our blind is 15 minutes long
1: as we're listening to it it's finally time for a power inbound Yes! (laughs) (laughs) We had some predictions at the end of last episode.
0: I said I think that Hawthorne's sister is alive, so I'm still standing by that.
1: That's fair. We had this whole thing about the fourth piece of the contract. You still think there might be four pieces of the contract, is that correct, as opposed to three? Because we've had a coin and a cup, and there's been a knife that's also been mentioned, but there are four suits of tarot.
0: Yes, I think we were thinking that it might be still belonging to the Fae, like, they still have it. But it's never
1: mentioned in any of the stories, so maybe maybe we're just cross-minute straws here. We're making things up. Maybe. Who can say? Who can say? We also had a discussion about the fact that we don't have a trans main character yet. We said that Ross could be trans. I want to believe that, so I'm going to say that Ross is trans. Hmm. It's not really a prediction, so it's Just me just manifesting. I know two things about this book, total.
0: One, it's basically enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. Two, it
1: has size kink. <laughs> The only thing I knew about Restless Truth was the fact that there were magical sex toys in it, so...
0: You know, she's given the people what they want. What
1: I know about this book is that it's much longer than the first two. Mm. And it has everyone's point of view, I believe. Or at least we're getting Edwin's back. And I assume that means... I'm pretty confident that I saw her talking about writing from Edwin's point of view. So I think we're getting everyone back, presumably for the final stage of the plot and the contract and everything coming together. I'm ready. I'm expecting lots of class stuff because this is the first proper class gap as well that we've had mm. oh but didn't we have some theory about ross being fey or something why did yeah. we have that theory because
0: he because magic doesn't work on him properly <laughs>
1: there we go you said i think ross is part fey because illusions don't work on him and then i said does ross lie he must lie he's a jewel thief but i don't remember him lying outright at any point during a restless truth he might do i have not had time to reread it but he's actually very blunt with people mm. so maybe he can't lie but also I don't think that we even technically know that Faye can't lie. I think we're just assuming that based on general folklore. We haven't met any Fae, and I do think we might actually see some now. Because it's it's fantastic. So. It might be that they'll leave the actual details of the contract and the Fae and all of that to like almost legend, but it feels recent enough and the contract feels recent enough that we won't actually get to see them. Do
0: we think that magic will be distilled into everybody, or do we think that magic will cease to exist entirely?
1: I don't know. I don't think it's just going to be a return to the status quo. I feel like it's going to be a third option that I haven't thought of. What do you think?
0: Communist magic system. But, like,
1: our our hero is kind of anti the communist magic system at the moment. Yeah. Right? Because Edwin was like, no, I'm not going to do that.
0: It's the classic thing of, like, you think you want a communist magic system, but your idea of it is just you control it at the end of the day like it's so
1: easily corruptible yeah so we are getting a genuinely communist magic system where it is all equal
0: equitable magic system rather than
1: equal magic system how does that work though is it like oh you need magic more than james (laughs) because james is really good at shuffleboard (laughs) (laughs) and obviously um the knife is going to be hidden in some ridiculous way do we have a prediction about how it's going to be hidden where's the knife going to be Ooh i'm gonna say cutlery like it's just gonna be like a butter knife or something
0: that makes a lot of sense
1: i think we're gonna get the return of the pornography that ross was selling and we're gonna act out a scene from it for real this time because we were acting it out jokingly last time and this time it's gonna be hawthorne pretending that he's a nymph trapped in a tree or whatever the scene was that they were doing (laughs) (laughs) and we've got to have more weird magical shenanigans in a magic sex scene but Hawthorne yeah. can't do any magic right now so is Hawthorne gonna get his magic back solely so that we can have a magical sex scene or is there gonna be like a magical item you No,
0: know. I feel like the sex scenes have to be really plot relevant so I hmm. could see there being some like weird fable shit involved yeah. in the sex scenes sex pollen I could see that being a thing <laughs> I could see you know I could see actually, a they just have like happen. an alpha
1: omega system <laughs>
0: this is how abo can still win in traditional <laughs> publishing
1: all of that said do we have any wild predictions but there's not one <laughs> what about
0: the last 12 minutes has not been wild it's been 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna hate
1: i'm gonna hate editing this
0: i mean we can't really beat last time so i think
1: uh-huh. that hawthorne and edwin are gonna kiss somehow like, oh, by God. accident, or by magical intervention, or something. Or, like, by, like, mistaken identity, even. Just for the sheer I mean, We're talking,
0: like, a Kuei-Jesper scene level of terrible. Yes. Oh, awesome. Something like Love that. It.
1: I think that's, yeah, that's my insane prediction that won't happen. Do you have an insane <laughs> prediction that won't happen?
0: I think... fake Sex, pollen, <laughs> Fuck
1: or yes. Die situation. I'm, I think I'm gonna stick with that. Okay.
0: You know, what if the climax of the book is just an actual climax? (laughs) What if that's how we fix the magic system? Is we have sex in a cave?
1: No, hang on. I feel like you're onto something here. But it's the way that sex has been integral to the plot every book so far. Yeah. Like, quite genuinely. How was the contract originally bound? I think we've just been assuming that it's the signature this entire time.
0: Yeah. You know, considering that, like, we, demon deals are often made with kisses, maybe fey deals are made with
1: Orgies. Maybe all of the mages are like half fae Maybe that's how this works. It was three original families. Maybe all of them had like a child with a fae mm. individual. And that's why that some people have more magic than others. Because it's like a like a genetic thing. Like we haven't even talked about the now. possibility
0: of changelings. We haven't. Because like Ross could be a
1: changeling. Maybe we Ross is a changeling. He could be. So Anyway. <laughs> anyway (laughs) elsie is not alive we were really on that one from book (laughs) one i'm upset i was so hard on this one the narrative around elsie's death was she was too powerful as a woman and therefore she killed herself that was the narrative we got fed so we Mm. were like there's something up with that and decided that actually she was still alive obviously there was something up with that it wasn't just that like her womanly wiles couldn't handle magic it was deeper than that (laughs) and she did come
0: back There was some narrative closure there. I didn't see it with my own two eyes, so... um...
1: You saw her ghost with your own two eyes, though, I was going to ask. Is that enough?
0: Did I? Did I climb into the novel and see that (laughs) with my own two eyes? I think we've established that's the only way I believe anything. Fourth piece of the contract. There isn't one.
1: Well, look, (laughs) is Dufe kind of themselves not a fourth piece of the contract?
0: You know, that is true. And
1: also, we were big on the fact that, like, a wand was going to be important, and we do kind of end with a wand.
0: That is also true.
1: It's a cane, but you know I'll give you that. We got enemies to lovers, and we got size king. Which actually, okay, I don't want to segue to the cover completely, but I'm a little bit disappointed that the height difference is not well pronounced. I would like Alan to be recognized as a short king as a person. like he's taller than me. So, <laughs> but still,
0: Warthorn's too thin on the cover.
1: Yeah, he should be broader as well. Way
0: broader, way taller. I appreciate that the cane is actually for something this time. I love that Alan was like, "Oh yeah, he's faking the faking the injury," and then. <laughs> Jack's like, um, I'm actually in debilitating pain a lot of the time. <laughs> anyway, I just pretend not to be because it makes me look weak. And I'm like, Sir, I love you. Mood.
1: <laughs> what else? It's longer. It was longer. Multi POV no, I think I remembered Freya tweeting about writing the characters rather than writing from the point of view of the characters and misinterpreted it. We got lots of Edwin. But we do get lots of everyone, which made me happy.
0: Good content.
1: We got Edwin having like the sh- kicked out of him, which I <laughs> <laughs> kind of enjoyed someone's gonna listen to this having somehow not listened to the first one and be like wow does he hate edwin no i love edwin
0: no you just love her comfort exactly it's your
1: niche i love misery so i was having mm. a great time
0: we got the gang being so gay together so found family i love them so much Maud manic pixie dream
1: girling people Maud with a gun we didn't predict that which we should have not to bring up she who must not be named but when everyone's like why not simply shoot voldemort with a gun that's Maud. <laughs> she has <laughs> Secret third thing. We were right. It was a secret third thing. Hmm. There's two magic systems. There's two magic systems, which I feel like we should have understood from the beginning, because it seems obvious in retrospect that there were two magic systems the whole time. No wonder Edwin could draw on one, fine, and not on the other at all. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, it seems insane that nobody went, hey, Addy, why don't you try doing magic the way that Edwin does? But also, why would you think of that? Because you're lumping magic into this one category. It's so good.
0: Mm. And all humans have magic now
1: and all humans have magic well did robin do magic at the end i was kind of unsure
0: it's the logical progression
1: it is the logical progression it makes sense to me but robin i don't think robin actually does anything in the epilogue but i think he said he like feels something doesn't he He already has foresight so
0: that's the thing do we ever learn how he gets foresight or do we just assume it's part of the pain curse and then it's like hang on he has foresight Maud
1: is literally a medium so obviously there are like there is another magic system whether that's the same magic system or even another magic system on top of the the previous two
0: i really really want a book set in modern day in this world to see what the consequences are like 110 years later
1: Same. it'd be insanely difficult to write because technology would be completely different
0: well but people wouldn't necessarily know maybe everybody can do magic but only some people know
1: about magic That's true. But I feel like these people want to teach... I feel like Alan isn't going to keep his mouth shut if people can do magic. Distributes wealth to the masses, including when the wealth is magic. So
0: you could just make it like a fantasy version of 2023. You could even have like references to the like old characters. Oh yeah, that guy who just like discovered the new magic system and invented it. The Coasey magic system. Like (laughs) it could be so much fun. It would be. You could do a Cassandra Clare thing and just do like every single
1: generation i would be so happy to have loads of different spin-offs of these to be honest
0: i would read Frame shopping list at this point to be honest like it's probably very <laughs> interesting alan wasn't Faye, though i am deeply upset about that three because i was really proud of that theory arguably if
1: we go with the whole the three families are all descendants of Faye, which is kind of implied here
0: but not alan because alan's i mean how is he a magician and none of the rest of his family is how does that work
1: maybe they've all been suppressing it or maybe he just had like a little bit like he had like let's say his like Great grandfather was, and then he just got that little that little drop.
0: But he's not like Fey Fey, like changeling Fey. He's not like no, no he's not like straight up Fey,
1: which I'm a little bit sad about because that would have been kind of neat.
0: Yeah, but I kind of like because it is very important for that sort of like mentality to be established at the beginning of the book and like how magic works for the magic system pay off at the end
1: i think his relationship with his family is so strong and i don't think that it would necessarily be undermined by him being like a changeling or something like i think you could do something interesting there but it would just be more complicated and i think Mm. for the narrative you've got here it would just you would need like several more chapters for him to come to terms with basically being like a forced adoptee or whatever it might be (laughs) and then we have a whole problem of like where's the baby that (laughs) got (laughs) switched so Mm. we're wrong about where the knife was hidden sadly but Mm. you were kind of onto it because you said a hair comb didn't you Did I? I'm pretty confident that you said hairpin, so you know what? I feel like we should give you a point because it was to do with the lockboxes.
0: That's a stretch, my guy.
1: I'm giving it to you, Morgan. I'm giving it to you. You're not getting a point for sex pollen or ABO, so just take it. I cannot believe I was right about the pornography coming back in the way that it did.
0: (laughs) I was obsessed with that. It was so good. To bring it back to the class stuff, because we also did mention that. Yes, The power imbalances are so well negotiated in this book. And that is, like, the perfect way to put Hawthorne and Alan on, like, more even keel.
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly.
0: Because Hawthorne owes this man so much, and has been shaped by this man so much.
1: And the discussions they have feel, like, I've seen some people complain, particularly with historical fiction, but even more generally, that everyone gets very therapy-speaky sometimes when contentious issues are on the page. And I feel like this was very, it felt very genuine. Like, for example, the word safe word didn't come up because I'm pretty sure the word safe word didn't exist in Edwardian times. But they still end up establishing a method of that with the whole first name address thing, which is so, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, that's all I can say. The relationship in this book
0: felt so much more mature than the other two, I want to say. Obviously, Robin's had like other experiences before, but like, it's still very sort of like first love and very sort of like nice and safe, if that makes sense. Whereas this one is a lot more sort of like kinky, obviously. It felt a lot sort of r- not richer. There's more of a sort of like conscientious awareness of sex
1: and kink and that whole world because they've lived in it for so long. It's almost less soulmatey, maybe because they've already met. But Robin and Edwin have this like instant thing where they just get each other. So do Maud and Violet, really. Whereas these two kind of have to build it, which almost feels more real.
0: There's a lot more negotiation. There's a lot more mm. back and forth and sort of figuring out where you are on equal footing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the first two books do have that in terms of like Edwin has his sexual hangups where he can't be vulnerable to begin with. And he's like, oh, I'm just gonna engage with this in a way that keeps me safe. And then they get over that. And then Maude has her like, I've never done any of this. I'm just gonna go in and Violet's like, hang on, wait.
0: <laughs> I feel like they had less emotional baggage to work through to get to the sex and then they had to like do the emotional baggage in retrospect and be like, Oh, wait, now we're kissing. Oh dear.
1: Yeah, because they don't even kiss until oh my god. god.
0: The scene in the bath where he like holds his face in his hands and he kisses Oh my god. I literally was like, I'm I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna throw up. This is amazing.
1: Oh, um. just making noises but I can't articulate how I feel about these two angst about emotional intimacy can we talk about the in inverted commas betrayal because I was so shocked and then it made so much sense in retrospect but it was so masterfully done like of course of course all of this would happen and then you think about all of Alan's actions in retrospect and you're like oh yeah of course that's why he did this or that's why he said this or that's why he asked about this
0: He's like, oh, I can't make friends with these people. And you're like, oh, yeah, because they're rich. And it's like, no, because you're about to betray them. And then the moment after that happens, he's like, I'm friends with them now. And it's like, oh, my God. Just shoot me. I, I didn't need my heart anyway.
1: Also obsessed with how quickly everybody forgives him because they just go, yeah, actually. If it was people that we love being threatened then we would probably do something similar so apart from the initial reaction of oh my god how could you do this which makes sense given it was a stressful moment after that there's no like awkward like do we trust alan anymore especially the way jack
0: reacts to it and then alan being like oh you, you understand you didn't even have to think about it you get it like a lesser writer would drag it out exactly but this was just perfect
1: it's such ripe for conflict it's not right for conflict because jack would understand because he has been personally victimized by this man as well for years
0: i think this might be my favorite book in the series
1: same i don't it's competing with *The marvelous light for me just because i have boundless love for edwin but that's my own personal problem (laughs) this one might be objectively (laughs) better
0: (laughs) yeah i just keep coming back to the like how effortlessly the relationship is negotiated
1: Mm.
0: because you could get so tangled up in things you could get it so wrong but it's so it's just so well done and they're just perfect for each other and they like bounce back and forth and you like understand why Hawthorne is the way he is and why he treated Edwin the way he did because he just fundamentally didn't understand that people some people don't have self-worth
1: yeah he was like oh we're playing we're teasing and Edwin's like oh I'm taking everything you say into my soul forever seriously a hundred percent which has basically made me forgive Hawthorne I will say it now
0: he apologizes as well
1: Edwin accepts it they're good they're fine i see how they are now picnicking together which apparently just wasn't by the sea i don't know why i was so sure that that vision was by the sea i think i just conflated the ship visions with their picnicking vision for some reason maybe it was the breeze or something
0: i feel like now we're on to picnic we need to talk about the showstopper heart stealer addy
1: oh my god i love her so much i'm so happy that she was more prominent than this
0: we love a good lavender marriage arrow is queen i love her queer platonic
1: soulmates i feel so stupid because i remember when i think it was the first scene with her in it even they mentioned her tapping her ring against the table again and i remember thinking what obviously she doesn't have the ring anymore right like she wore a fake for a while didn't she but and then they reveal the proposal several chapters later and i was like freya musk literally draws your attention to the ring again and i was like oh last time she did this it was really really important (laughs) and then i just forgot
0: (laughs) i just love her and I love them. And I love that whole thing. And I love the way that Edwin and Addie talk to each other and the way that Addy is like, if you die, I'm not being the emotional support here.
1: The only thing that will work is if you die, I will ruin your husband's life. So that's all I've got. That's the emotional (laughs) ammunition that I have, and therefore I'll use it. They're just so cute, though. Even before they revealed the proposal, I was like, oh, it's so cute. Like, Robin and Addy have clearly gotten closer over time. I love their dynamic. And then it was like, they're getting married. I was like,
0: yes. I'm such a sucker for that trope. It's the arrow ace in me. I'm like, forever alone. (laughs) Ha ha ha. And then I see stuff like this. And it's so cute.
1: You can join the weird polycule slash found family.
0: (laughs) It's just amazing. And I love her. And I love the fact that we have at least one person in the group that is not just like paired off or one of the protagonists, but she's still very important because she is
1: like important to the characters. Also obsessed with her just like on the treasure hunt with the rest of the group and being like, I'm going to pair myself off with the ancient unknowable Faye. Yeah. The class project. Who who do you want to do your presentation with? You. (laughs) The coolest. I hope they keep hanging out. They will. They do in my brain. We're in the realm of headcanon now, there's no such thing as another book.
0: Can we just have another book, please, Freya? Can we just have another book?
1: Nothing even has to happen.
0: Yeah, just give us, like, them living in the house and hanging out, and then they go grocery shopping, and then they have a sleepover. I'll I'll read anything. But especially, give me an Addy standalone, and I'll, like, give you my firstborn child. Or a Dufay standalone. What about a Dufay-Lady Cheetham romance? where's that one? Because the vital vibing.
1: I would break up with my husband after that as well, quite frankly. I would be like, no, you weren't listening to me. Our daughter died. What's going on? Also, you're a Tory. (laughs) I love the Tory hatred in this book. I feel like the Americans won't appreciate it as much as both of us, I'm sure, were.
0: Oh, it was beautiful.
1: It's weird things being married into real political context. I think I kind of miss it sometimes with American urban fantasy and stuff because i don't know it as deeply but like with lloyd george being mentioned i won't dox myself by saying who it is but i know a descendant of lloyd george whose surname is literally still lloyd george wild
0: i always find that quite risky in historical books but i think it's really well done because there's not anything world-breaking or life-changing being i mean obviously the ending of this book implies a lot but like yeah.
1: <laughs> but not not throughout the narrative
0: yeah to discuss again unfortunately um she must not be named there's the whole like deeply problematic stuff of how she ties in magical narrative with real world historical events and how especially in fantastic beasts it is deeply deeply problematic whereas like in this series the first world war is definitely a shadow that seems to be implied as like the big thing that's coming but it's just so much better
1: handled and also they've got tools to potentially actually do something about it as opposed to just go let's ignore it or have the villains be the ones who say that they should do something about it
0: (laughs) the way that politics is done here it's just so well done hawthorne being like yeah i support redistribution of wealth and i try my hardest but nobody wants to take my charity no one's like what
1: there's you've got to be joking right you've got to be i think we're tying in mask's decision not to have anyone genuinely real which she more talks about in the acknowledgements, like people get mentioned, but they're off page. Like you never see anybody who's real, I think makes a lot of sense. Like I think that keeps it in this sweet spot where it doesn't feel too jarring, but it also feels anchored in the genuine history and also the research. She's put in the work.
0: Historical fantasy scares me.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> you have to research so much. I, I could never exactly i just want to scream like i wanted to scream when i finished this i wanted to scream several times throughout i did read more of it in public than i intended also because we have to complete the trifecta of embarrassing stories with reading these books i was meeting my father and i was meeting him on the train because we live a couple of stops up from each other on a train line so sometimes we just get into the same carriage and we meet like that and then he came and sat down and i was like let me finish my page and then i did finish my page and i closed my book And he was like, what are you reading? And I was like, oh, it's the third book in a trilogy. I think I've told you about the first one vaguely. And he went, okay. And then he just pulled it from my hands and started looking through it. (laughs) And there was a a 12-year-old boy sitting next to us. So I couldn't be like, stop, there's sex in it. I just said, oh, there's some dubious content in there. You might want to. And he eventually handed it back to me, but I'm not actually sure he saw anything. (laughs) I hadn't read, I hadn't even hit a sex scene when this happened, by the way. So I had no idea what could possibly be in these pages. (laughs) <laughs> so that was horrific and i need everyone to know that, that
0: see, i did the classic thing that i always seem to do which is reading it in the staff room and thinking that
1: everything would be fine
0: and then just every time immediately hitting a sex scene
1: there's something about the rhythm in which masks insert sex scenes where you can never see them coming they, they don't feel unearned or illogical but you think no i'm good now i'd read a little bit in a coffee shop this morning and i thought no i don't think there's going to be one at this point and then there was one and i was like oh <laughs> surprise <laughs> i'm now reading this in a fairly crowded room but that's fun
0: but i kind of love that you can't predict it that's good
1: especially with these two jesus christ because they just jump each other's bones every five minutes
0: it felt the most truly fanfic because like a lot of e-rated fic is just the sex could happen at any moment but it's gonna happen when's it gonna happen this is only 3k and they've been walking through an office 1k of that surely they're gonna duck into a room in any second now and then they do the role play, I actually really liked that. Like it was just so well written. The back and forth and the way they like stuck to it most of the time. There's that one moment where like, <laughs> like Hawthorne's completely forgotten what's happening. And then he's like, I'm going to keep you to myself. And Alan's like, oh, the crew will be so upset. And Hawthorne's like, hang on.
1: <laughs> That's so, the witty banter. I feel like it can be a very fine line in these kinds of scenes. I feel like it can be kind of, irritating if it feels like it's trying too hard but it seems to come so naturally with the two of them maybe because it's all the time it's just so good and then like the little moments of seriousness and like levity like i feel like this is a trend throughout all of them and it might be something we've discussed before but even like the moment where hawthorne has a little bit of trouble with his mouth and alan is like laughing at him it's just like very cute and intimate and it feels very real in terms of like despite the fact that they're doing these ridiculous role plays and despite the fact that you know even in the context of this story they are a lord (laughs) and a lonely journalist they still feel like people who are having a realistic if very good time
0: (laughs) and the way that hawthorne has literally like shaped his sexuality
1: through the pornography that he reads
0: and then alan's like wow this man is literally made for me yep i literally trained him basically (laughs)
1: made him for me oh god it's it's, <laughs> it's also kind of fun in the power context there as well like it feels like something alan has over him but then i guess they kind of have it over each other obsessed as well with the fact that it's just been alan from the beginning because obviously edwin and robin also bond over the same pornography <laughs> can you imagine if edwin found out <laughs>
0: you know that as soon as Maud finds out she's like oh my god I'm commissioning you you've got to write me this and this and this and then if you could just watch me and Violet for a second and then you could write some like female stuff as well like she would be so down for it
1: both Violet and Maud are very they're just like telling everyone everything and everyone else is like please (laughs) Violet just holding Hawthorne hostage throughout this novel and being like anyway me and Maud last night Hawthorne being like please
0: (laughs) would you suggest that maybe I could do this instead of this like do you think they would work better next time like give me some tips (laughs) you know could you give Maud some tips you've been two fingers with me she's been two fingers with me you can bond
1: and the worst part is Maud would want to bond over (laughs) she's she's down she's down for anything (laughs) someone has to draw like a relationship web because we've got Violet and Hawthorne and Hawthorne and Edward Hawthorne's just the middle he's out here like oh I'm not a rake I haven't (laughs) off of London and he's (laughs) someone in every couple that this book ends.
0: (laughs) from the beginning you're like how could I ever love Hawthorne and you get to the end and you're like, there's. 50%
1: of his own (laughs) found (laughs) family.
0: We need to discuss queer romanticy on this podcast more often. Yeah. (laughs) I think it brings out the truly unhinged side of us. This is the thing is I've always been very sort of like, yeah, romanticy is okay for other people, I guess. But like, I don't really get it. And then I read this series and I'm like, wow, queer romanticy is so good. Like, it's so hard to find queer romanticy that's in like the popular market. Like, all these different, like, oh, it's the romance of 2024, the romance of 2023, all these different romances, and they're all straight. And I'm like, please let the queer people live.
1: And the vast majority of them are also, like, white cis heads who are abled. And I'm like, can I have some more representation? <laughs> like Hawthorne's disability here. It was. I, I want to talk about that in general. I don't know if I'm stealing your... Do you want to get on the Romandacy point first?
0: Just that all of the, like, queer Romandacy I have read has been so... I'm going to say the word vanilla. It's a lot of fade to black. It's a lot of, and then they kiss at the very end. There's not a lot of queer romanticy in the way that romanticy currently means in like the general consensus, which
1: is. Full on sex scenes.
0: Yeah. There's, there's no spicy queer romanticy and like, gimme, gimme, <laughs> just gimme. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Obviously like Dark Olympus, that's one of the reasons I'm reading that is because it is actually like good queer romanticy but it's very light on the fantasy.
1: Yeah, I which I feel like this. I don't want to be mean because I haven't read that much romantic in general. So I don't want to make sweeping statements. But I'll say that one complaint that I hear often from non-romanticy readers, as in people that consider themselves largely fantasy readers, is just that the plot doesn't really have enough to stand on. Whereas I feel like this has all of the things that we usually love about fantasy in terms of complex world building and weird finicky magic systems and actual creative use of those things and clever foreshadowing and mysteries and all of that, with also just a really good romance as well. It's both. It's genuinely both, as opposed to there is just magic.
0: 2024. I'm going to get into romantic somehow, because I'm curious. They're going to
1: get you there. Well, the, I, I have to get you to read um, A Toast of Golden Iron then, because you will go far all over it. I was thinking about it a lot while reading this. You, I know you will. Yes, please. <laughs> Although it does have less sex in it, sadly. This is my issue. Oh, gosh. Yes, I'll just DNF it then. God. <laughs> it's a lot.
0: <sighs> Terrible.
1: But the tension is very good. So there is that.
0: That's the bit that I care about. I just like the good tension, which this book does very well. There's just so much will they, won't they. And so much like looking at each other across the room and being like, maybe maybe i'm imagining some things who can say
1: but i'm not going to do anything the bit where they're all standing in the library and then alan looks out the window and he sees george coming and freaks out and hawthorne has this little aside about not being as obsessive as edwin about his study of things but realizing that he has been studying alan because he realizes Mm. exactly what it looks like when he's afraid even if he's trying not to show it oh my god jesus christ oh boy Can we talk about Hawthorne's disability? Yes. I really like that it's multi-layered here in that it very much feels like not having magic is a disability for him. Mm. But then on top of that, he also has an actual, because allegory is fantastic and literal representation is also fantastic. But I feel like that's just something so good when you get that combination. It just adds a better flavour profile, I want to say. (laughs) (laughs) It just makes it more interesting.
0: Double whammy disability. I love it so much. It really ties back into what we were talking about with L on our disability in fantasy episode about sort of like how it matters about how a world is structured as to what a disability is considered to be. Exactly.
1: Which is interesting as well here because you could argue that this, you know, we talked a little bit about sort of the magical cure and this is sort of the opposite of that in that everyone becomes disabled in the same way that Hawthorne is. But he realizes that there is a different way of doing things that has just not been on his radar at all.
0: And he's like better prepared for this new world because A, he's used to living without the first one, and B, he is very powerful in the second one. Mm, Exactly. Speaking of, we love a good overpowered scene, Edwin just straight up destroying the barrel.
1: For a heartbeat, I thought that he had somehow done the last contract thing and yanked the powers out of his brother and George. I was panicking. I was freaked out. And then I realised it was the ley line thing. I had a moment of extreme fear. I was like, what have you done? Has Edwin just gone to his villain arc sort of thing?
0: Oh, it's just a beautiful scene. And he's like so caught up in it. And Robin has to be like, it's okay. You can stop now. I love that trope. I eat that trope up. Oh my God. I was thinking about
1: you while I was reading that whole thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can let go now, love. It's okay. Oh, gets me every time there's a
1: lot of um on you just tired of being nice in this book actually in general which is great even even for the non-magical characters like Maud with her gun iconic i was thinking about the fact that everyone has killed somebody now because everyone kills a guy in the first book <laughs> violet kills someone in the second book and would pretty much kills somebody with a gun in this book also violet had already killed someone hadn't she mm.
0: i do love that alan is just like okay we're stabbing this man in the neck yeah it's an escalation but it kind of makes sense at
1: this point wait we need to talk about alan's whole sinita thing though because i'm also a sucker for that trope that i'll do the horrible thing so that everyone else doesn't have to so good
0: i my brain was rewired by the hundred seasons one through three and ever since that that trope is good and it is the dynamic that i've taken into almost all of my writing because i'm such a sucker for like morality chain and stuff like that i will suffer and i will be a bad person so that you can be like perfect And then destroying that by being like, stop putting me on a pedestal. I am also a terrible person. Let's be terrible together. Mm. It's not fair for me to be able to be kind just because you are able to be cruel. Like the dynamic you can do with that trope. Beautiful.
1: I have so many feelings about these characters now.
0: Alan with the eldest daughter syndrome, an icon. He is Declan
1: Lynch coded (laughs) and we love it. (laughs) Imagine Declan Lynch writing pornography to support his family.
0: You know, he would do it in a very tiny corner of his attic and then he'd put it all away and he'd climb back down with his sensible shoes. I
1: feel like he would paint like steamy nudes. I feel like it'd be that. Oh
0: my God, he totally would.
1: (laughs) Another weird, this is such a a bizarre segue, Hawthorne comparing Alan to an oil painting after Robin comparing Edwin to a watercolour painting in book one. (laughs) i don't have anything to say about it apart from the fact that it made me want to yell i loved it the way that mask writes appearances i don't really know how to articulate this i feel like sometimes romance novels do that thing i've seen people complain about this where they introduce the character and they tell you what they look like at the start and then they sort of just expect you to remember which i guess is fine but also i don't have a great memory and i tend to forget things but also i feel like if you are in love with somebody then you're going to be paying attention not necessarily to the way they look in like a superficial way but you are enjoying looking at them so you're experiencing their appearance if that makes sense when you engage with them and the way that the characters describe each other in all of mask's books just
0: there's this constant reevaluation as they fall more in love
1: I see them in new context,
0: Like the fear in his eyes and like all of these different little things. and just... Yeah. <sighs> yes.
1: There was one mention as well of um, Alan's eyes being really just ridiculously perfect shade of brown in terms of not having any gold, which I did really appreciate because that is a thing that I've seen a lot of people of colour complain about with the whole brown eyes are only written as beautiful if they're shot through with gold or if they gleam gold in the light or whatever it might be. It's just like a common thread and then darker brown eyes don't get described as being... Pretty.
0: i give almost all my characters dark brown eyes because i'm like i have dark brown eyes i don't know what other people's eyes look like because i don't look at them because i'm autistic they look like a sapphire set
1: into a snake statue obviously <laughs> 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 which i loved as a recurring description that was so insane also not alan at the like party being like i can't recognize him because he's a brown-haired man in a suit he looks like every other <laughs> like i don't know what to tell you <laughs>
0: objectively he is the like hottest man i've ever met could i differentiate him in a sea of white men no no
1: could not pick him out of a lineup i
0: love that he's like i'm looking for Maud and violet because they're gonna have the most outrageous dresses i love that they've like already got this like spinster aunt vibe going and they're like
1: more like 20 violet turning up in the hat that has left two ostriches cold and without feathers
0: her turn of phrase is just like unparalleled I didn't highlight anything in this book and I really should have but I was just so absorbed but I kept going oh my god like especially towards the beginning like I was just noticing all these different turns of phrase and being like that is such an ingenious way to say that Jack is talking to his mother they're like going back and forth and it keeps calling her Polly or Lady Cheetham and then at the end of the chapter
1: it's like he said doesn't it hurt Yes, said Elsie Olson's mother. It's this amazing blend of sometimes it's gorgeous metaphors and sometimes it's just really simple and so cutting. Like there was another moment that that is completely different tonally, but it's Alan and Hawthorne are standing in the street lamp having that conversation with each other and Alan blushes and Hawthorne thinks about putting his hand on his face to see if he can feel the heat. Like not a complicated idea. Did it make me go feral? Yes. <laughs> One of the more like literary ones that I did write down was... um. Something moved in Alan the way he imagined worlds moved in the dark of the universe.
0: Oh yes, that one.
1: I think um, Mask wrote this because she made a deal with the Fae to be able to write so good. <laughs> and that's actually what inspired the magic system and the plot. But there were so many. I feel like you could pull out almost any paragraph and get something insanely beautiful. Yeah. Who's your favourite character in this book? Don't make me sound shallow by saying Evan again. Listen... <laughs> <Just> in- <laughs> Yes, please elaborate for the listeners who somehow missed A Marvellous Light. I feel like it's a tie between Alonzo and Edwin because I love them both very much. I don't really have anything new to say about Edwin. I just love that he's such a... I love that he's a genius. One thing that I did really appreciate is everyone else now treating him as a threat. That was just very satisfying, even though it was often a problem narratively. It was like, we're going to stalk Edwin because then he'll figure it out for us. We don't have to do the work. I was like, well, at least you respect that he's a genius. Now, please don't hurt him.
0: I do love that at the end, they're like, mm, we really should arrest this man because he literally destroyed the barrel. Unfortunately, he's the expert now. He's the only expert on this thing. So um, he's in charge now. Have <laughs> fun. Icon moment. Beautiful. tell me about Alonzo.
1: maybe it's because I too am short and full of rage to some extent (laughs) but I think there's something about his specific anxieties that I don't feel like I've seen necessarily explored in such an honest and raw way in fiction not in terms of just the general like I want to support my family and I'm in this world that I know nothing about and these rich people kind of way but There was just something that felt so true about his vulnerability with Jack that was so tenuous. Like, it was just very easy to get into his head for those things. Like, there's a bit very much towards the end where he's listing off things about Jack that he essentially finds attractive. And then he goes, and also these are all things that terrify me about you because they are all things that put you in a position where you could send me down the river at any moment. And then Jack promises that he won't, but it's just, I don't know. There's something about, like, his combination of vulnerability, but also the fact that the narrative doesn't use that to actually genuinely turn him into this like dude in distress even though he like faints a lot. (laughs) It's not his fault (laughs) even if he gets picked up like three times off the floor. It's not on him. I think Mask does a pretty good job at portraying that vulnerability in conjunction with portraying his strength. What about you?
0: I'm torn between the two main characters. I think they play off each other so well that it's almost hard to think of them as separate characters because What I like about them so much is the way that they interact with each other. I mean, you've gone on about Alan, so I guess I'll talk about Hawthorne. I just love him. He's the even grumpier of the grumpy ex, even grumpier. Although arguably, I think they're both grumpy, actually. I don't know if he is even grumpier. You have him so built up in your head as this one character. And then the moment you see inside his brain, you're like, oh, I understand exactly why you're like that now. I think it was such a genius move to put the flashback as to what happened at the beginning of the book, because seeing things from jack's point of view you have to know that because everything he does is informed by that and i know we went into the book being like "Ooh, what was it like what we're gonna find out and the fact i was really like thrown when it first like started i was like oh we're learning that now we're not like hashing it out and then i realized that like it is literally integral to know that from the get-go and it was so genius and upsetting
1: yeah i completely agree with that
0: he's just you know he's just a little guy i know he's he's canonically (laughs) huge but he's just a little guy He's just like, what if I didn't have an emotion? That would be fine. We're not going to unpack this. And then they have to unpack this.
1: Because he's actually very sweet.
0: I love that he was older and that he was like a general. So he had this sort of like feeling of duty of care to the others and slipped back into that role so effortlessly because like, obviously he's surrounded by magicians and like people who can do things and people who have been involved in this longer longer than him. And then he comes along as like, okay, but I know how to get this ship shape. I know how to keep us directed. And he does. He's got more world experience and he's more connected, I think, to the real world because A, he's not a magician, but even then he's so integral to sort of the political machinations that are going on in the background and he just knows everybody and that made him feel like such a grounded character and I just, I just, I love him.
1: Yeah, I think it's his own philosophy of being a renaissance man where he's, trying to get the whole picture all the time. And yeah, I I, I said that jokingly thing about like, I don't know if Hawthorne's going to win me over and maybe he'll only win me over when he wins Ross over. But the minute I read his backstory, I was like, how can I not be mm. on his side here? I can be confused about why he was apparently so mean to Edwin, but in retrospect, it all makes sense.
0: As I've learned in my creative writing class recently, it's the recruitment to the desire.
1: I was recruited to his desire. I was recruited to all of his desires. It's so effortlessly... And masterfully done. I felt ridiculous that I didn't really connect him losing his magic to Elsie having too much magic. That seems obvious in retrospect as well. I feel like there's so many things that flew over my head. I did as soon as Dufay got mentioned, I was like, "This is the Fay. This is the Fay that we've we've been talking about." It's in the name. Du
0: Fey. Yes. That slightly went over my head. I was because I couldn't remember that the Grim was a thing, and I was like, "Am I supposed to know about this?" Absolutely loved that letter. I love a good piece of unhinged
1: writing. I have to confess I spent ages with that letter trying to figure out if there was a cipher in it because I saw random capitalization, and I jumped to a conclusion. So I guess, I guess this is why I like Edwin so much because that was what I, I had to figure it out.
0: DeFay's <laughs> just slightly insane and we love that for them. I'm coming back to my Lady De and Lady Cheetham True They're so
1: cute. I do love them.
0: And I'm sorry, but we didn't get a trans protagonist in this one. Give me some good spice. You could do so many things with someone
1: who can literally like change their gender at will. You could do so many things. Alan's uh, uncanny ability to cross-dress, notwithstanding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that Freya Mask was like, I'm going to give you half... A maid costume but I'm not going to commit to
1: the bit with the full maid costume. I was a little bit upset that she didn't commit to the bit I'm not gonna lie.
0: <laughs> Let us have the maid costume please.
1: What's that tumblr post where somebody's like are you into cross-dressing and then someone's like I'm bisexual that's kind of like asking a dog if he likes walks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should have had a little bit more from all of them.
0: What we could have had.
1: What we could have had. Freya Musk released the maid scene. I know it's I know it's in your draft somewhere I know you thought about it.
0: I know this book was long. It could have been like 100 pages longer and I still would have read it.
1: It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long, but it was longer than the others. Yeah, but it wasn't that long. It could have been longer. could have been longer. I was saying about the multiple point of views, I would love to have everyone's point of view in this. How stressed Edwin and Robin must have been with Robin constantly seeing visions of Edwin dying and Violet and Ward. Violet's house got burned down oh my god that shocked me as well there was so many things like i don't know what it is about mosques writing but i get so in it that i don't see anything coming and then everything feels so real it is just being absorbed in a story i know it's that but i feel like both of us read so much you more than me but then we read things on the show and we analyze things and we look at things with writer brain and i feel like sometimes it's really hard to just get in and with these i'm always just in. i said no so many times reading this book when things happened repeatedly i was like no 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 that was my most frequent exclamation i cried twice I got really close during the conversation with Elsie's ghost. I was in a cafe and I think maybe if I'd been on my own, I would have. I think it was during like a Jack Allen just conversation
0: where they were kind of like healing their trauma. I was also slightly drunk at the time, so I'm going to blame that. Um, And then the last was just like the last couple of pages. You know, it's a good book. You're crying because it's ending. You know, it's a good series when that happens.
1: I'm so devastated that I can't have any content of these characters. I genuinely feel that, like, teenage feeling of, like, you've just ripped away my friends.
0: Freya Mask, start a Patreon. Freya Mask, release short stories on tour.com. Freya Mask, write fanfic on AO3 under a pseudonym.
1: She's been talking about a new series, which I think involves dueling enemies to lovers' gays. So, you know, that's very exciting. But um, I'm still grieving right now, so I can't think about it yet.
0: Give us anything
1: that's so important to me
0: you know if I'm going to give money to anybody I'll give it to Freya
1: Mask yeah so. Freya what if we just pay you directly and then you get <laughs> money I don't know how that would work
0: commissioning writers to what's just... your Venmo
1: <laughs> hook us up we can't even use Venmo in the UK <laughs> <laughs> wait before we wrap up I feel like I need to talk about the villains briefly yeah Serafina we we can't end this without talking about Serafina mm. what what a moment I know that she just died immediately which was kind of funny actually <laughs> <But> <laughs> But an icon, nonetheless. I love that she just stabbed Walter to death. Oh my god! Again, a moment <laughs> where I was like, "What the hell?" That was that was a, that was an out loud no. No one was watching mm. the old woman. We should have learned this from this book. That old women mm. are like the biggest threat.
0: Exactly. I love that she was the one like holding up the illusion, and that they were literally going to execute Edwin in public and yeah. hide it behind an illusion. That's kind of
1: iconic. That's so messed up. I horrifying. Jesus Christ. Yeah, iconic brackets. What the. F- yeah, see, that's what I want to fanfiction about is does Edwin have scars forever now? I'm very upset about this, etc., etc.
0: Give me some hurt, comfort, life-affirming sex, please.
1: Exactly. Thank you very much. While Alan and Jack are having sex at the end, I was thinking, well, Violet and Maud are definitely doing the same, and then I was thinking, well, are Edwin and Robin, or has Edwin had so much blood loss that Robin is like, we cannot right now? Probably, probably that. Probably that. They got time. Because Edwin was like, I want to info dump and theorize all night. Robin was like, No, to go to bed. Okay, wait, <laughs> we need to, Seraphina. <laughs> i just wanted to say that mask is really really good at writing villains that are genuinely scary despite being normal people that's i mean not normal people because they're magicians but other you know normal people for the context
0: rackets context
1: scenes in which they are doing intimidation or being a threat were genuinely unsettling to me i don't really know what it is precisely that makes it so but it's just really interesting and it's interesting to have villains who feel very distinct in their own ideologies and motivations and things like having george be like well i'm have a means to an end here even though i think that i'm like a cult leader or whatever it is and also being like i'm a sadist i will go out of my way to hurt other people even Mm -hmm. if it inconveniences me it's like a good it's a good comparison it means that they have to navigate both as protagonists which is terrible morgan i'm gonna ask you first because you read a marvelous light second so you're technically still the newer reader i guess i don't know (laughs) (laughs) okay how do you feel about power and bounds
0: i loved it i will read anything Freya mask writes i think she's an incredible writer i think this is an incredible series i'm not a historical fantasy girly but this has got me i have so many emotions i want to reread it i don't have time to reread it but i want to many emotion many many feeling Experience again for first time, please. Give me some letiment. Let me let me experience it again. I'm just stroking the book for the listeners.
1: <laughs> ASMR. Like a villain with a cat in your lap.
0: No thoughts, head empty, despite having talked for many, many minutes. What about you, Saren?
1: I love I love this series so much. I love I I love it so much that I also have no words, despite having talked about it for like two hours. And I also feel like I could talk about it for six days. So i i i'm i feel like this was written specifically for me it's one of those things where i'm like i just could not love this more i'm confused by how much i love this and a paramount is such a good conclusion it's so satisfying we haven't even talked that much about the ending but it's so good i mean we've talked about it i guess in terms of plotting and implications and it being an interesting conclusion but even just for theatrics i think it's hard sometimes when you build up to one climax to make it feel like enough and i loved this with the ice breaking with everyone flying about even if there's just a lot of rugby tackling and punching going on that was just (laughs) hilarious and it felt like an earned ending and a well approached ending and i love alan and i do love jack too and i love this little stupid family so much (laughs) Do we have any recommendations about reading the series? (laughs) No. (laughs) Should I go? Yeah. Okay, I've only read literally one of these so far. So this is a a tenuous recommendation, but I've heard good things from my editor Kit, and the one that I did read definitely had a similar vibe. This is the Floss Magic Eye series by Arden Powell. They're also about queer people falling in love. I think it's pre-Edwardian era. Maybe it is Edwardian. I feel like there's cars and... Yeah, probably actually squarely Edwardian as well. Magic in High Society, Everyone is Queer. There's several of them. I think they're self-published. One of them's mm-hmm. Polly. I've been told that it doesn't matter which order you read them in. So I guess go have a look at the descriptions and see whichever one you know fulfills your favourite queer vibes, I suppose. I've read The Gentleman's Valet. That's the only one that I've read because I thought it was the first one. I kind of only read it because I wanted to read the Polly one. So I messed up there. But <laughs> I did still have a good time. I will say that they are not nearly as plot heavy. They are very much just romance. It's like the rom-com version of these. That's, that's what that is.
0: Freya Mask was literally advertising them on Twitter today.
1: There so. you go. And then if you do want something with traumatized characters, the only thing that I can think of recently that gave me similar feelings to this is A Toast of Golden Iron by Alexandra Roland, which is one you probably know of, at least if you're a Freya Mask fan, because they are friends and they're on their podcast together and stuff. But it's romantic it's second world, so it's not historically based, but it's got some historical inspiration. It is bodyguard prince, if you're into that. It's got the original antagonism that these two have. I wouldn't call them enemies, because they are kind of always working on the same side, but they're, they're not happy about it to begin with. And then it's got that giving way to extreme yearning and pining and eventual devotion. But if you are obsessed with that dynamic of people just fundamentally misunderstanding each other, and then as they get to know each other, falling in love with each other at the same time, and also you're just losing your mind over the slow, but it's much slower burn in every single way, and in, indeed than any of the, the last binding books. So be prepared for that going in, because you will be waiting, but it's worth it. Also great mental health representations, and great representations of mental health in terms of how they can actually be like properly disabling, not like a toothless representation whatsoever. So that's fun have you got anything?
0: Yes. If you like the magic system of like dedicating yourself to a house or a piece of land, the like give and take of magic that you have in there and what you owe the land, Starling House by Alex E. Harrow, absolutely beautiful construction of that. And also, we love two characters who are like, yeah, you're pathetic, and I kind of hate you. But what have we just made out anyway? (laughs) Like, we're both very lonely. We're both like 20-somethings who have nothing left to lose. We both thought we were going to be dead by this point. Love that one. And I'm becoming a historical fantasy girly, apparently. I'm currently reading The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White, which is I want to say it's Victorian.
1: 1883. So
0: Victorian period follows a trans main character in a girl's boarding school trying to investigate some deaths. The magic system is medium-based, so it's lots of spirits. And of course there's classic Andrew Dose of white body horror, beautiful autistic representation, incredible vibes. Incredibly gory, because the main character has a, their special interest is surgery. So (laughs) as long as you go in knowing that.
1: Next time, next month, due to our 2024 release schedule being a little bit different, we'll be gone for a little bit longer than usual, but that will give you time to read new release, Sunbringer by Hannah Kainer, sequel to Godkiller, which we will be doing with Indira from India Reads A Lot on TikTok. She's returning to continue the journey with us. And I can't say anything cryptic about it because I haven't read it. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be out on the 4th of March. Until then, you're always welcome through the bookcase. Don't forget to scritch the cat on your way out. Thank you for listening to The Hidden Bookcase, a production of Planar Prod. On this episode, you heard Morgan Greensmith and Soren Brywood discussing A Power Unbound by Freya Mask, with additional editing by Kit Lovick. You can find out more about this book on freyamask.com and you can follow Mask on Twitter at Freya Mask. You can find The Hidden Bookcase on Twitter, at Hidden Bookcase, and on Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok, at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Find out more about PlanarProd at PlanarProd.com. Know what we should read next, or want to chat to us about what you thought of this episode's read? You can reach us at thehiddenbookcase at gmail.com, send us a DM on social media, or come chat with your fellow bookworms in our growing Discord server. The link is in the show notes. Want to support The Hidden Bookcase? Support us on Patreon for bonus episodes, audio outtakes, playlists, and other extras, or consider leaving us a rating or a review, or telling a friend how to find us. Your whispers are the best way for bookworms to discover our show. On our next episode, which will be out on Monday, the 4th of March, we'll be reading Sunbringer by Hannah Caner, alongside India from India Reads A Lot. We hope to see you then, and in the meantime, you're always welcome through the bookcase.